Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So let's get started with our practice questions for the week. So the first question we have is from a student says, how do you choose between bolus and continuous feeds for someone who has a BMI of 16? And you guys did a great job of commenting to being like, well, there's a lot of, you know, other factors going on, which of course, but you know, this topic is definitely, you know, just one to kind of think of, you know, what are those other factors I'd want to consider, right? So a BMI of 16, is underweight, right? A BMI less than 18.5 is going to be underweight. So right away, I'm thinking malnutrition, right? Because she's so, so underweight, right? So if I have someone who has malnutrition, right, that puts them into the category of being at risk for refeeding syndrome. And when I have a patient who's at risk of refeeding syndrome, I do not want to start them with a bolus, right? I want to start them on continuous and not just continuous, but a very right low rate of continuous and only after I check their labs, right? Specifically magnesium, potassium, phosphorus. I need to make sure, right, they're within normal limits because if I have a patient who's at risk of refeeding syndrome and their electrolytes are low, right, giving them a good amount of glucose is only going to drive them lower. So if this was like, you know, a responding page of me, like being like, hey, can you call me real quick? And they didn't have much information for me about the patient, right? I would be like, I need more information. But I would also say absolutely not to bolus. It's going to be too hard to tolerate. That also, right, is going to increase the risk for them to have refeeding syndrome. So if I got that call, I would say, you know what? Let, let's not do anything besides check the labs and replete the electrolytes if needed before I can do an assessment, but we should plan on doing a low rate continuous tube feed. So again, lots of kind of different questions to talk about with that patient, but risk of malnutrition, absolutely not going to do a, bol- a, bolus, um, a bolus tube feed. Next one, we have a question from a student who's saying, clarification, please, of course. We're here to help, right? The red beefy tongue, what is this, right? So this is a deficiency in niacin, which is B3. And how to keep this straight is I like to think I want a niacin piece of beef, right? So like nice piece of beef, niacin piece of beef, right? Just to kind of help keep you straight. Um, You know, that's always what I use, a little bit of a stretch, but I think it works and it's worked well for a lot of my students too. Um, the one people get confused with is the magenta tongue, which is riboflavin, right? So riboflavin is that magenta tongue, and niacin is going to be our red beefy tongue because we want a niacin piece of beef. So hopefully, you know, even though that, you know, a little bit of a stretch, but again, those type of little things can kind of help, um, help you, you know, kind of remember them too. So even if you forget which one is magenta tongue, right? You're like, well, it's not. It's not going to be um, niacin. 
I'm sorry, it is going to be niacin. The red beefy tongue with gen tongue is going to be riboflavin, right? Because we want our niacin piece of beef. Okay, next one. Um, question from a student. Why do we not administer EN or TPN if albumin is very low in critically ill patients? They're saying specifically someone who has not had nutrition in six days. So we definitely can provide TPN and enteral nutrition in a patient with very low albumin. Students in the comments did a great job of saying, you know, albumin is not a good sign of malnutrition because, you know, the old rationale was thinking like albumin's a protein. So if my protein's low, my albumin, right, then my albumin's going to be low. But there's a lot of different factors that can impact our albumin. Usually we're talking about four primary ones. Number one, which is the one we talk about all the time, is inflammation, right? Albumin is a negative um, acute phase hepatic protein. So what that means is that if I'm having inflammation, right, which we're usually kind of measuring by looking at the CRP, if I have an elevated CRP, that's telling me that my body is inflamed. And then I'm having hepatic reprioritization. And what we're talking about with hepatic reprioritization is I'm saying it doesn't matter, right, if I'm the, eat the most protein, I'm the most well-nourished person in the world. My, when I'm inflamed, right, my liver is prioritizing other things. They're like, mm -mm, don't make albumin, we need something else. So if I'm inflamed, I could be super duper healthy, well-nourished, I could still have low albumin, right? So the number, so the first thing to think about is, um, the first thing to think about is if this patient's inflamed. The next thing to think about is are they having any liver dysfunction, right? Because albumin is a hepatic protein. So I like to think if the factory, right, my liver is broken, likely even if I eat a lot of protein, I'm still going to have low albumin and also I'll be inflamed. So kind of a double hitter there. Um, the third reason why albumin could be low, and remember we are often having these kind of in combination too, is the fact that I maybe am malnourished. Maybe I'm not eating enough protein, right? I, maybe I just don't have enough protein to make albumin. And the last one to think of is volume status. If I'm volume overloaded, right, we're thinking hypo, right, albuminia, right, because I'm going to be volume overloaded, so my albumin that I did have is all spread out. And the reason why we're often, you know, we're, can, if we're volume overloaded, or we can have a low albumin, but also if I have low albumin, I can be volume overloaded because albumin is going to help with the oncotic pressure, which is really just saying keeping water where it should be. So right away, I'm like, you know what? I, you know, it's not really telling me anything about, you know, the nutritional status of this patient. Now, if this is a critically ill patient, hasn't had TPN or tube feeds in six days, where I'm going to kind of loop back up to is that other refeeding question too of, you know, I'm whatever I'm starting, right? I don't know if the GI tract works for this patient. I'm going to start low and slow. So always the first step with these patients where we're like, I don't know the best way to feed them, check their electrolytes, right? Get an electrolyte panel, right? Mag, FOS, potassium, see where they are, right? So if I got this consult for this patient, I'd first, of course, be like, I need to know a little bit more about them. But figuring out if the GI tract works, if not, we'll go to TPN. If it does, do enteral and then check those electrolytes before we even start and then low and slow and keep, um, and keep checking them. 
keep checking them too, right? Usually we can kind of use that low, um, that low albumin as saying, like, this is why they need it, right? Because doctors a lot of time are in that like albumin mindset. So they're like, like a lot of time I'll be using it to kind of like get them on my side, even though I'm like, but it's not a good indicator, right? But I'm like, look at that albumin, TPN, right? Okay, next one we have is a math question. So this student says, hi all, I'm not sure how to solve this problem. My understanding is inventory um, ratio is food cost divided by average inventory, but how do I find my food cost based on the information provided, right? So we love, we love a math question. So if you haven't already, calculators at the ready, right? I always think like Harry Potter wands at the ready, calculators at the ready right? Because we are not going to pretend that we can do math in our heads, or maybe you can, but I know I don't fall into that boat. Okay, so let's see. So we have food service operations net profit is $41,139. Cost of goods sold is $145,350. Average inventory value is $7,330. And total meals served per day is going to be 200. And so when we're thinking about this, our inventory turnover rate, so where the student was saying is she's like, or he, um, you know, I thought the equation was that the food cost is my numerator, average at inventory is my denominator, and where you're getting it wrong is the numerator is my cost of goods sold, right? So this can include food, it could also include, you know, like napkins, containers, different things. But so it's that cost of goods sold. Sometimes you're going to see it abbreviated as COGS. So they're giving it to us. So our numerator is 145,350. That's my numerator, right? So it's my cost of goods sold on the top divided by my average inventory, 7,330. So that would give me an inventory turnover ratio of 18, or, or sorry, 19.8. And we know with our inventory turnover ratio, right, this is telling us how we're utilizing our inventory. The goal is between two and four, right? So an average in our inventory turnover of, you know, almost 20, this is telling me that I am constantly restocking, right? Which is not great because that, right, that's another shipment, that's more time, that's more money. But on the other hand, right, I don't want to only buy one order a month of things because that means all my money is tied up. So what I like to think with the cost of goods sold and how I teach it in um, my math cl classes, so definitely check out the math boot camp recorded class if this is a trouble area for you, is you want to think about like how many times you go to the store in a month, right? Every week, okay. Twice a month, you know, some good planning for you. But I don't want to be going only once a month because then all my money's set up and I don't want to be going every day, which I am 100% guilty of. But I always like to say, I only do that because I live in the city and I am not that strong and I have to carry all my groceries. So that's why I'm going so much. But so with this question, we're saying we're, ha we're having to restock like 20 times a month. So sometimes they're asking us like, well, what should I do? So when your inventory turnover ratio is high, you want to increase your inventory, right? Cause you not need to go to the store as much. If my inventory turnover ratio was less than two, I would want to decrease my inventory, right? Let's go to the store. Let's go to the store a little, a little bit more often. 
Me too. Okay, next one, we have a question from Suzanne looking for just some clarification of kind of talking about the different food states. And when we're thinking about this, we're thinking like food science, right, domain one. So the first one was a soul and thinking like, what is it? And so how we want to kind of think about and the kind of the combination of words, vocab we're going to use here is like solid and a liquid, liquid and a solid, you know, things like that. You want to think that I'm putting that first thing into the second thing, right? So when I'm thinking about a soul, right, like a gravy, I'm putting flour, right, into water. Or if you're in the South, right, flour, right, into our milk. So that would be a soul. An emotion is a liquid and a liquid, right? I'm kind of mixing those, those things together. For my gel, it's going to be, right, a liquid put in that starch, in that starch granule, right? And then for something like a foam, right, that's going to be putting a gas in, in a liquid. Or like a cake would be like a gas in a solid. So definitely good, especially with domain one, keep your vocab, you know, tight and make sure you're kind of looking at examples because if we go into this exam being like, I'm going to memorize, 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 we're not, we're not going to make a, we're not going to make a lot of headway. You need to really be able to learn and apply the topics. And that's going to be a diff the difference between getting a 20 on this exam, right? And getting a 25. So focusing on really kind of learning helps you to definitely be able to apply. And this next one is one from me, which is a great example why. So this is coming off one of my, the questions that my students get a lot. I think it's off pocket prep. And so let's read the question. So the question says, what is the appropriate nutrition intervention recommendation for patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, right? That's COPD. A, small frequent meals. B, weight loss of patients over a week. C, decreased milk intake. And D, low carbohydrate intake. And my question here on the page was I was saying, for this question, why is it A over D? Because what I get is this question my students bring to me and they go, Dana, I don't understand. I got it wrong. I put low carbohydrate diet. I'm reading through the Inman. It's telling me that when I eat carbs, right, we go through glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, the products of the Krebs cycle, right, are water, ATP, and CO2. So if my patient's on a high carb diet, Right? They're going to be creating more CO2, and if they have COPD, that's bad. But pocket prep is saying this isn't the answer. And always what I say to them is I'm like, you know what? You have the correct rationale. That is correct. But you want to make sure, especially on those MNT questions, is you want to be thinking of, well, what is the most important, right? What's the best step? You see it with like this type one, or you see it with like questions about diabetes of, who should get their A1C checked? It's not that you can't have multiple things going on, but what is the most important? So for this, I would challenge my students to tell, tell, me, tell me a little bit more about COPD. What's the other MNT for it? Um, and remember when you're saying the MNT, and definitely, if you haven't heard this before, go back and listen to the How to Study MNT podcast episode. I think it was like maybe three or four weeks ago. Just scroll down. You'll find it. Um, but you want to be able to tell me what is the disease, why am I concerned, what am I going to do about it, and then thinking kind of like labs, medications. Um, 
to connect with it too. But so if I was saying, well, what is COPD, right? COPD is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And the issue here is my alveoli, right? Which is that end pocket of my lungs. And I always like to think alveoli, ravioli, right? To remind me it's a little pocket at the end, right? That's where the oxygen exchange is coming and the CO2 in the body. So if I don't have that, right, it's going to be very hard for me to breathe. I'm going to be breathing a lot. So these patients, it's, they burn so much energy breathing, right? Because they're always like, <gasps> trying to get the oxygen in and CO2 out. So these patients are very metabolic because they burn so many calories just trying to breathe. So a big issue, right, is that they're not eating because these types of patients, and I saw it with COVID too when my floor was a COVID unit, they're like, I can't breathe. And if I eat, I also, like, it's worse. And so that's the problem you're running into, that these patients are burning a ton of calories and they can't, like, even pause to eat because they can't breathe. They can't eat a meal. So more important, right, than if I have this patient who's like malnourished, not eating, and I go, oh, low-carb diet, right? That's not going to be the best thing to help them, right? What would be better is to say, you know, don't have a high-carbohydrate diet, but it doesn't necessarily need to be low. And for my malnourished patients, I'm not really worried about diet restrictions when they're not eating, right? I run into this all the time with my cardiac patients where they're like, so malnourished and they're like and I'm on renal and low fat and low salt and it's like okay but if you're not eating anything you're not going to get up to that so the rationale of why they answer small frequent meals is because the bigger concern for COPD patients is malnutrition right so I would want you to have small frequent meals and I wouldn't necessarily want you to have something uber high in carbs right but the first thing I would say, like if I'm going, and again, the list was small frequent meals, weight loss of patients overweight, decreased milk intake, low carb would be to have, you know, if it was like, oh, Dana, you can only talk about one topic with your COPD patient, right? I'm saying, great, I'll talk to them about, um, about small frequent meals. That would really kind of be, that would really kind of be the best question to be doing. Okay, next up, we have a question. Looks like it's off pocket prep. So this student is saying, the pocket prep has this question. Maggie's meal prep company, and again, another math one, grab your calculators. Maggie's meal prep company wants to determine a selling price for their newest breakfast item, protein buttermilk pancakes. Using cost plus meth pricing method, how much should this item be sold for? Now, we have a few different key pieces here, right? Fixed costs are 23%. Labor costs are 44%, profit costs is 15%, and food cost is $1.87. And so this student's saying they're showing their work, right? And we'll kind of go over it because she's sharing the explanation there. But what her question is, is she, thought, she says, I thought to determine selling price, it was markup factor times raw food cost. To find the markup, you usually do 100 divided by your percent. However, in step two, they're subtracting. So this is a really great one because, again, this is where we get stuck when we're not necessarily like studying the topic and we're kind of trying to memorize the equations. So the first thing to think of is kind of think about, okay, if I'm, if I'm getting this question, I'm like, oh, goodness, like I'm a little stuck on this topic. Where would I go? I'd say, okay, let me reread the question. What topic is it asking me on? Using the cost plus 
pricing method. So with my pricing equations, I have three equations. I have cost plus, factor or traditional pricing, and then I have my um, prime pricing. So what this student is getting confused in between is between factor and between cost plus. So on here, when they're telling us which equation to use, right, they're telling us cost plus, I need to make sure I know those pricing equations. And these are covered in my equations part one class. That class is also in the math boot camp, but we see them a lot of pricing questions too. Um, so definitely if you haven't already grabbed my selling price study guide, I'll link it below and in the show notes too. Um, so that you guys can get it because this is a topic, right, that you want to make sure that you understand. So cost plus pricing, which we'll go over in this class and definitely grab the study guide too to help you out with the other two. What I like to think is cost plus pricing. The first thing I'm doing is plussing everything up, right? So I'm adding together all those percentages that they gave me, 23% plus 44% plus 15%. And I'm saying, that's 82% is accounted for what's left over for food costs, 100 divided by 82. I have 18% left, left for food costs. And so what I'm doing here now is then I'm dividing, and again, this is all because I'm using the cost plus pricing equation. I take my raw food cost, $1.87 um, divided by 18%. Um, percent. Remember, so that's 0.18 then I'm getting $10.38. So this is a really great one where it reminds us of um, it reminds us of the importance of why we need to know the other pricing methods. And like I said, I'll link below in the show notes so that you guys can grab that free study guide too and get more comfortable with the pricing methods. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.